Hey folks, welcome to a podcast about Catholic things. This is Eric, the Ambassador of Common Sense, and I'm here with... Dan, the Ambassador of Nonsense. Welcome everyone. And by the way, I want to apologize in advance. If, if anyone hears me, um, I, I have been at work this today. It's it's about uh, 1130 now, and I was at work since 7 in the morning. It's 1130 at night now, and I haven't had a meal. I'd never eat breakfast, and I worked through lunch and didn't stop for dinner. So I'm going to try to quietly nibble and hopefully it won't uh, uh, pick up. <laughs> how far away from work do you live? About an hour. Why didn't you just go to a drive through on the way home? Because I wanted to get home and get this done. All right. Besides, then I would have had to eat, you know, something mm-hmm. that might not be quiet. Okay. Well, um, I guess so. So Raymond Arroyo had Cardinal Burke. Burke on his show, uh, what was, what's the name of that show? Catholic the World Over. World Over? Yeah. And, uh, did an interview with Cardinal Burke, which was pretty good and addressed a few things that a lot of people are wondering, um, especially about Traditionis Custodes, how it ought to affect us and what kind of future is there for the traditional Latin mass. Now, Cardinal Burke, he kind of, he had kind of the same optimism that, look, 10 years ago, if, if you said to, to a Catholic, um, to a, to a somewhat educated Catholic, um, you know, what, what are you going to do when the Pope changes the, the teachings on whatever? gay marriage or uh, contraception. The answer mm-hmm. was, well, the Pope won't do that. He, he can't do it. Yeah. The Holy um, Spirit won't let him. Yeah. So it, it's kind of a, a general faith in God that this just won't happen. And so far it hasn't happened. We've had no changes in the teachings of the Catholic Church. And we know those certain parties in the church have been trying really hard. Desperately. And it's even gotten to the point where a lot of people at the very top, including the Pope, are more or less kind of giving the okay to ignore the teachings. So they're not trying to change them. They're just, well, we don't have to change them. We just won't listen to them. And doing things that they ought not to be doing. Anyway, that was kind of... I felt like that was his attitude towards the traditional Latin mass. He was saying, look, it's going to be there. God's not going to let him just squelch the TLM. Um, if you've, if you've been listening to us in the past year, then you know our position has been that if, if the Pope wanted to, there's nothing that could stop him from tomorrow saying, listen, no more Latin masses. All masses have to be in the vernacular, and you can't have the TLM anymore. From now on, it has to be the Novus Ordo. He, as far as we can tell, he has the power to do that. I, I've never seen anything to the contrary. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of, it's been heavy on our hearts and heavy on the hearts of most traditional Catholics 
who enjoy going to the Latin Mass because we recognize how bad it would be for the Catholic Church. I, you know, really that's what we went through in the 70s. In the 70s, everybody had the traditional Latin Mass, um, and then they introduced the Novus Ordo. And as that filtered down over the next year, everybody started celebrating this new Mass. I've heard claims that some people continued to say the old Mass. I don't, and of course there were, there were groups like Lefebvre's group, the SSPX, Society of St. Pius X, who specifically set up an order to continue saying it. And then because of certain things like disobedience to the Pope, that group was more or less cut off. They were, they became in schism with Rome and that's the way they've been ever since. But so, so they're not really considered Catholic. Uh, they call themselves Catholic, but most Catholics would not consider them Catholics. The Pope does not consider them a Catholics. Right. Um, and, and from the sound of it, Burke, Cardinal Burke doesn't <laughs> consider them Catholics because his, Encouragement was stay in the church. Don't go to SSPX. Stay in the church and fight this out. Now, and and not, you know, not just because the it's important to stay in the church. Not not just because it's important for souls, but he was trying to make the point: we need to not dilute any further the love for the TLM in the mainstream. Church, yeah, we we yeah. have to. If we love the TLM, then we need to stand our ground and continue to love it and continue to embrace it wherever we can find it, and make it clear that this is a mainstream. That's the word he used, um, right? You know, we don't want to lose the TLM's popularity within the mainstream church. And if everybody says, "Oh, it's so hard now," I guess I'll go to SSPX. Well. What that does is kind of give up the field. And so the people who like the TLM are SSPXers, not traditional Catholics. Not Catholics, right. So we can't give up that ground, which, you know, it, it took us a long time to gain that ground. And I, I wasn't even alive when they changed the mass. And so we didn't really see it, but there really wasn't a huge fight to keep the traditional mass when it changed that I know. Yeah, everybody just I mean, I knew some people, but, but even our own parents, uh, okay, this is the new mass. All right. We this go to the new mass. Yeah. Um, over time, they started to miss the old mass and then started movements to try to get it back. And that took a long time. But now, now we have this retrospect where we can say, this was a disaster. This is the dumbest thing we've ever done. There is no reason to hold on to this. We see what it did. It emptied the churches. So it's dumb to think that we should keep harping on this new yeah, mass. Doubling, because the doubling new mass down is, on it is going to fill the churches again? How does that work? Yeah. I, and, and, and the churches that are being filled, there's kind of like two... There's two kinds of churches that are being filled. One, traditional churches, whether they have the TLM or not, it's churches that are more traditional. And two, 
there are priests who are kind of following the 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 same mass Protestant churches, those mega churches who are kind of following oh, that. Oh, yeah, the mega church uh, formula sort of and. So they're big, but those are fleeting. They they won't last. They'll they'll be up quick and down quick because that kind of thing just can't last. It's it doesn't sustain you uh spiritually. It's it satisfies a quick emotional need and then it's gone. And so the only strong church now really is the traditional uh churches and the traditional Latin mass specifically seems to be attracting a lot of young people who are, uh, I'm not even going to, you know, I mean, with like Pope John Paul II, they talked about young people being excited for the faith and stuff like that. It's not even that. It's people who are serious about the faith. Yeah. Yeah. Excitement. It It's kind of, you know, excitement is a dangerous word. If, if you think back to the parable of the sower, and the seed that fell, um, there, there's actually no, two kinds of seeds. The seeds soil. That, that took an initial root, but the soil wasn't very deep. And so when the heat of the day came, they failed. And then the seed that fell among the thorns and they grew up and then the cares of the world kind of choked, uh, yeah. the, the fortitude out of them and, and they gave up. Um, yeah, and that's so. Not- that's that's what, what excitement need. is. It's but being serious about the faith. That's that's the seed that fell on good soil. Yeah, and they're coming in and they're they're well grounded and you know they've got kids and they're just they have jobs that they go to. They don't they don't stand on the corner and preach. Uh, they're just serious Catholics who take the faith very seriously and learn it. And incorporate it into their lives. This is what the traditional Latin mass is giving us mm-hmm. more than in any other church. And still it's, but it's still such a small percentage that Burke was saying, this is all we've got. We've got 1% of Catholics, maybe. He didn't say 1%, but I've heard that number. I saw, yeah, I saw 1% in, in, uh, no, I heard it on, on some other podcast. I thought, wow, 1%. Mm-hmm. And and I I thought that sounded high. I was surprised to hear even one percent. Uh, but maybe I, it is. I mean, if it, I can if see it's one in a hundred, one in a hundred Catholics out there are are inclined towards the TLM. Wow, that's yeah. You know, <laughs> that's amazing. Given right. where we were, given and, how and, hard and they tried to been aligned against it. it. Yeah. Um, but if that is then. Then we need that one percent. We yeah. can't lose it. Yeah, we've it got to keep them mm-hmm. to the SSPX. Even if Pope Francis comes out tomorrow and says no more Latin Mass, we have to stay and we have to find a way to bring it back. We did it before. Mm-hmm. We could do it again. Um, but Cardinal Burke was uh, optimistic that God would protect the Latin Mass from being killed altogether. And I, I guess I share his optimism, but I think that, um, it might, it might get kind of weird. You know, it yeah. might be one of those things that, that disappear kind of for a while and then come um, back or something like that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I completely share his optimism that it won't 
disappear for good. Um, but I, I'm, let's say that I'm hopeful. I, I share his faith that it won't disappear for good. Yeah. But I, I am hopeful, um, that he's right that the Holy Spirit would not even allow a pope to completely abrogate it. Right. I, you know, but, you know, he's a cardinal. I, the thing is, he, he's a cardinal. He knows way more than I do, but, but, uh, saying he's a cardinal in, in this day and age doesn't mean much. Right. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, well, I get, you know, it's one of those things we'll have to wait and see. But, yeah. you know, there were a couple things that he said. Uh, I, for example, they were, um, responding to, I guess, uh, Raymond Royal had brought up a quote from, uh, Cupich. That's what I'm calling him, Cupich. <laughs> say, say his name the way it's spelled. Um, he had, talking about Traditionus Custodes and how he's going to enforce it in his archdiocese, which was, he's going to, you can only, I think, there were a couple stupid things, and it seemed arbitrary. It was like, you cannot say the traditional Latin Mass on the first Sunday of every yeah. month. That's, and, or that's on Christmas dumb. or during Easter. That's just... That, or Pentecost. That's wrong for so many reasons, but it doesn't matter. It's when he was talking about why he was doing this. He says that he's giving Catholics in the archdiocese, and here I'm quoting, an opportunity to offer a concrete manifestation of the acceptance of the teachings of Vatican, of the Second Vatican Council and its liturgical books. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's so dumb. That's so lame is the thing. It, you know, I, there seems to be this impression that, that these TLM lovers are like, like they reject Vatican II or something like that. And uh, thing is, even as if it would even make that much difference if they did, but the, the, the truth is they don't. Uh, it's like, you know, it, it's the modern, like the, the modern leftist prelates of the church use this. And this is only something that's started coming up in like the last year. I mean, this is a very recent thing, but they've started throwing about this like second Vatican council. Uh, I don't know. And anti second, second Vatican council thing. Yeah. The way leftists in America, maybe around the world through, through racism around, you know, it's like, if yeah. they want a reason to bully you, they accuse you of rejecting Vatican too. Just like, Leftists yeah. accuse you of being a racist, or if they want an excuse to accrete, you know, power to themselves, they say, "Oh, because you know we've got to be concerned about Vatican II, just like leftists do in America." Oh, because we got to fight racism, but you know, it's like racism in America is kind of like meteorites, meteorite strikes, you know, on the ground. It's like, well, yeah. okay, you you might find one once in a while, but it's it's not it's it's neither common enough. Nor influential enough to bother to even with. address, yeah, to yeah, to to make it part of your daily thoughts or plans or anything. Same way with people rejecting Vatican II. Okay, there's this society out there that's outside the church that rejects it. But here, you know, I I was thinking about this while I was driving home today, and if you think about even among those few racists you can find in America. <laughs> 
half of them are not racist because they somehow inherently believe the the races are unequal or something like that. Half of them are racist because they've like emotionally and psychologically they're just like reacting against the constant yammering and hammering about racism. Yeah, that, that yeah, that wasn't true. even a thing. It's it's like the constant yammering is pushing people to be racist just as a way of re- of of like reacting against the stupidity. And For example, this is- you got um, you know, so you've got someone constantly playing the race card. Mhm. And it's not because they're black, it's because the race card is an easy card to play. So, and then you've got a guy next to him who never was racist, but he sees this and then he starts associating it with the race. And it's like, like, oh, well, that must be how they are. And yeah, what this is going to do, I mean, this kind of stuff, especially this, this stupidity of, of like, like Cupich. I, I mean, the, the natural reaction to this is to say, wow, if concern, if this much concern over Vatican II turns people, turns cardinals, turns bishops into such meanies, and makes them so petty and causes them to, to say, you know, what are intellectually vacuous things. There must be something wrong with Vatican II. Yeah. That's the natural reaction to stuff like this. There's that. And then, okay, there's the fact that most people have not actually read the documents anything, of Vatican II. Vatican II. They don't know what Vatican II says. They really don't care. They only see, uh, 1970, pre-1970 masses are one way, post-1970 masses are another way, and they see that, and they hear bishops saying, this is Vatican II, so they think, well, Vatican II stinks. Cause this is dumb. I don't want to go to this. And Mm -hmm. so that's what happens. And they've wait, and I guess we've kind of allowed them to control the narrative here, where it's like, hey, this mass has nothing to do with Vatican II. Vatican II yeah. did not call for any of this. There's not a single document in Vatican II that calls for these kinds of changes. So uh denying Vatican II is not it's not really a thing. It's like when uh when I argue that, look, the climate changes on its own and uh, there isn't a whole lot that man can do to destroy it. And people say, well, you're a climate denier. Yeah. Or you're, you're anti-science. you know. science <laughs> Yeah, you're d- denying science. It's like, well, I'm not denying science. I just don't think this is the interpretation just- of the science. I don't think. What you think is true. That's not denying science. And no one's denying Vatican II. Uh, especially the people who have read Vatican II documents. Um, which the, I don't think Cupid has. The, the people devoted to the TLM who are in the church are far more likely to have actually read Vatican II than the Novus Ordo mass goers. Not only that, but when, um, when you do run into someone who has a problem with Vatican II, they can usually, they have like three or four lines 
out of all the Vatican II documents that they have a problem with. You know, it, it, yeah. and they're real petty things. It's like, okay, well, you could interpret this like five different ways, and yet this is your problem. Why? Because it's ambiguous? Well, so what? The church can be ambiguous. Um, but there's nothing here that you can definitely say is against truth. And the bigger part of this is that there's nothing here that turns the mass into what we see now. So why are we even talking about this? Why talk about any of the Vatican II documents when that's yeah, not where the notice order came from? That's, let's, let's talk about what matters, which is the mass. Yeah. We should not allow them to control that narrative to talk about Vatican II because Vatican II had nothing to do with it. We're not V2 deniers the same way we're not vaccine deniers or uh, science deniers. Yeah. We just, we deny the leftist interpretation that we ought to quit eating meat or ought to uh, receive communion on the hand because of science or because of Vatican II. That was, um, I think that needs to be made the point more and more often. Mm -hmm. I, I hope that the people with more influence uh, will continue to hammer on that because this whole Vatican II denial thing, it's, it's just not real. You know, it's, it's kind of George Orwell recognized the importance of controlling the use of vocabulary in, in terms of controlling the masses. He, yeah. he recognized how a few people, if they, if they could manage to manipulate the vocabulary used by a population, they could turn it into a population of sheep to be herded whichever way they want them. And the bishops are jumping on that and, and using that mechanism. I mean, the bishops like Cupich. And, yeah, and I'm certainly, I'm sure certain uh, many others in the church too. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame that it's a shame that people fall for this so easily. Um, and I, I often wonder why people fall for this. Is it, is it just because I'm unlike most people? The reason I don't go for things like this is it because of just the way mom and dad raised us to where. We're kind of rebelling against everything we can find to rebel against. Or is it, um, is there something deeper like trust in God? And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's how can people be made sheep so easily? Yeah. I, that's, uh, I, I think it's probably I've wondered about that myself because it, it, it's frustrating when you see people doing that. Yeah. It's like you, wanna, you see somebody like Cupich coming out like this and, and, and it's like this one quote that you read ought to raise every Catholic's hackles. Every single thinking Catholic out there ought to feel a resistance to that. They ought to interiorly rebel against it because of its obvious wrongness and, and idiocy. Um, Especially for a guy so powerful. Well, just, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I, this way I can show that I accept Vatican II. Yeah. You, See that's how what you're looking for in your life is a way to show that you Vatican accept Vatican II? II? 
Because it's the same way that you got people who, uh, who do the dumbest things to show that they're not racist. You know, you got, (laughs) you got these, these, uh, these, these white millennial girls who will, uh, kiss the feet of black men in order to show that they're not racist. And it's dumb. It's, and it's, yeah, it's frustrating. It's like you don't, you don't have to do that. There's no, there's no reason to allow them to control us this way, but they're, I, I guess that's what it is, is they're interested in showing people like Kupich and Pope Francis. They want to show them, Hey, we're, we're all for Vatican II. When they, do, they've never read Vatican II, because if they did, they would know that, that this has nothing to do with Vatican II. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, um, Ironic that, you know, the pe- people who, who do go out of their way to show that they're not racist do things that show them in fact to be racist. Um, I mean, the very first thing you do, you have to do in order to, to take all these measures is to pay attention to race and then treat people differently based on race. Well, that's racism. Yeah. So. It, and it's kind of the same way. It, and, and in fact, a lot of the, the ways that people want to treat black people differently, um, is not only racist in the sense that they're treating them differently, but there's a underlying assumption that black people can't stand on their own two feet and they need to be treated differently. They need to be treated specially. They need to be given extra privileges because they're not capable in and of themselves the way, for example, white people might be. That, that's kind of the underlying current of, uh, of, uh, worldview that drives these kinds of things. Yeah. Well, the same thing applies here. If you have to hammer Vatican II down everybody's throats, if you have to, 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 if, if you have to make acceptance of Vatican II a thing like this, then what you're admitting is that in your own opinion, Vatican II really doesn't stand on its own. Now, I yeah, think it, it does. I, I think it does. And I've read the Vatican II documents and I rarely think about Vatican II, but those who are constantly harping on it, those are the ones that you suspect, well, wait a minute, maybe you really think that Vatican II can't stand on its own because maybe in your mind, Vatican II really is a break with tradition and maybe that's what it's all about for you. That's that's the disturbing aspect of this. It's uh, one of those things that there are a lot of ambiguities in there, but... There's no reason you couldn't read Vatican II in light of tradition and say there's nothing ground shaking here. There's no game changers in this. It's pretty much more the same. Or if you were of a mind to try to change what the church is, then you can read it. Actually, there, there, it isn't that ambiguous. There aren't a whole lot of places you could do this, but if you're down and determined, you could read some things and say, look, this says we ought to be doing something different. Yeah. But you can I mean, only the- do that if you already don't believe in the church's infallibility. Right. 
Because the, the, see, that's the thing about Vatican II is that it. I, I wonder if Vatican II was uh, strategized by I don't know by demon by by Satan by the forces of evil to be a tiny wormhole. Yeah. Um, with and 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 the reason I say that is this: for the most part, you can take Vatican II, and if you read it in the light of tradition. And in continuity with tradition, you can then discard it because it doesn't add anything to the tradition. It doesn't, it doesn't illuminate any further. It doesn't, it doesn't bring it out in any greater relief, uh, with, with just one or two exceptions. But for the most part, you yeah. can just drop it. And, and as long as you have the whole tradition of the church, you don't even need Vatican II. There, there's, it's right. You know, the one exception. Is that it called for a reform, not a total reform. It called for a reevaluation of the parts of the mass with some particular reforms. And that, while the document itself doesn't in any way resemble what came out of, you know, the, the reforms of Paul VI, mm-hmm. the mass, it became the, the, the point where the worm as an evil figure here could wiggle through and, you know, and accomplish this big reform of the mass that was really for the worse. And, um, has, you know, we've already seen has, yeah. has wrought destruction in a lot of parts of the church. That so it's, it's almost did like happen. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, the documents are all fine. They're all good. You, if you take them and follow them, for the most part, you you can ignore them because they don't really say anything new. And if you followed the reforms as actually written, you would have a mass that looks a lot like the TLM. But there's just that one small point that it did call for a reform. And then it's like, okay, let's seize on the word reform and ignore all the rest of the words in the document and go write this new mass. Yeah. And that's what they did. Yeah. And it did. Destroyed the church on a practical level. It it cut everything off. It it turned people ignorant, and it made it almost made the Catholic Church irrelevant in in the modern day. Because if if you don't if you don't have the faith, then the mass doesn't uh, benefit you. And since even Catholics have lost their faith. If, if only 30% believe in the real presence of the Eucharist, that means the rest of them have lost their faith. And if they have, then the mass isn't doing anything for them. Yeah. So that was the fruit of this change. It wasn't the fruit of Vatican II. It was the fruit of this change, which they used Vatican II as an excuse to do. But I guess... The big thing is we're not V2 deniers. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, um, and, and we, we shouldn't let that be the argument. There's. Yeah. We need to find a way. I mean, how to, how to get people to use a different set of, uh, terms when. Yeah. Cause it's discussing not. Discussing the TLM. It's. Let's leave Vatican okay, II out of it. It's not pre Vatican II. It's, it's pre Paul VI. I don't know. But it, it can't oh, be about Vatican II. That's not what the right. argument is. 
I, I almost think that we, that it would be a good thing to start referring to the mass of Paul VI, the Novus Ordo, as a liturgical experiment that, you know, because in the church, I mean, okay, it's been around for 50 years. In the church, that's the blink of an eye. That's nothing. Right. It's not that long. So it's like, it's an experiment. Well, it's time to recognize that the experiment has failed or the experiment has, has produced a result that says this is the wrong way to, uh, um, to go with the mass. Yeah. So if we could start getting that vocabulary out there and, and start, start making the conversation, not about Vatican II, but about liturgical experimentation, which is what the mass of Paul the sixth was, that's how to start getting people to think rightly about it. Yeah. Um, of course we need some influential people to start doing that. (laughs) Two guys on a (laughs) podcast aren't going to do it, but, um, I don't have too much more after that. Uh, yeah, me neither. Okay. Which is fine. This, it's okay for this to be a short one. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about news. Yeah. Um, Two men are arrested in Manchester, Birmingham, and Birmingham, England, uh, as part of that uh, hostage situation at the synagogue in Texas. So I, it doesn't really say what their involvement was, but apparently, I mean, the way it was presented last week when I talked about it, it was one guy who had a brother in prison. And he took over this, uh, he took a synagogue hostage and demanded his brother be set free. Right. But here's these two guys in England that were arrested as part of that. So apparently this was a little bit more planned. And I guess this, it wasn't a crazy guy trying to get his brother sprung. Um, Does it say what, but it doesn't go into what their involvement was. Just No, it doesn't. Yeah, huh. it was just arrested for involvement of that. You know, I another hate part of this news stories that are teasers like that. Yeah. Uh, where was it? Let me see here. The federal, the FBI announced that it's going to call this a federal hate crime and an act of terrorism. Uh oh. Which, I mean, how, why are we? Why is it a hate crime? Yeah, I mean, it, you're. That's the thing. Once, once you allow, like, I mean, the very concept of a hate crime is a wrong-headed concept, anyway. Yeah. The act, you know, the the motive motive is part of making your case to a jury. It's part of the presentation. It's part of the evidentiary, um, you know, proof that you bring. Yeah. But it's not an element of the crime. The crime is the crime. You know, the, right. the act that you committed is what it is, um, regardless of what your motive is. The motive, a motive can be mitigating, but not, it should never be exacerbating. It's like, okay, I, you know, I shot a guy. Well, okay, what were the circumstances? The circumstances were that he, were cr- he was crawling in through my window with a knife in his hand, and my wife was, was on the other side of the bed, and I, you know, feared that he would reach her first and do mm-hmm. harm to her, so I shot him. Okay, circumstantially, that constitutes self-defense, but the motive shouldn't 
be something that you say, oh, you did it for this reason, therefore that's an additional crime or anything like that. The, the very idea of hate crimes is one of the most dangerous things. And yeah, now that, you know, people start ha, have grown comfortable with the concept. Now they um, just start throwing it around. It start, yeah, but it, in, it gets abused. In this case, it seems like it's even... Even as something that shouldn't be there at all, it's especially misplaced. Yeah. When the guy didn't... The guy wasn't saying anything about Jews when he took them hostage. He wasn't He wasn't expressing hatred of Jews as far as I can tell. And I, I read some about it and I, there are news reports that he did not say anything hateful about Jews. What, what so why the... is this a hate crime? What was the, um, back on the original theory of the hostage situation, what was his brother in prison for? Um, he is a Pakistani, um, who is in jail for attempted murder and other felonies. Okay, just... doesn't say... So he wasn't necessarily in jail for, like, crimes against Jews or anything like that. So, it's like... The guy, I mean, assuming the original theory that he was doing it to get his brother out, which now no longer seems even to be the the right theory. Yeah. It seems like he just decided that a synagogue was the easiest place to get a bunch of people hostage. You know, it's easier to take over a synagogue, say, than hijack a plane or something like that. Wait a minute. What? Wasn't his brother that was supposed A Pakistani national serving an 86-year sentence, but... They're showing a picture of a woman here. I thought it was his... Maybe he's the brother. Oh, the, he's the brother of a Pakistani national. Yeah. Okay. I just assumed it was a... It was a he's trying to get his sister out of jail. I t- assumed it was a guy. <laughs> you would assume something like that. But You think, okay, yeah, you're in jail for violent crimes and murder and stuff. You're probably a guy. <laughs> Yeah, okay. All right, so new wrinkles in the case. Maybe he's not... Why did I think that was his brother? I don't know. That's what you said last week, I though. I might, I might erase this whole conversation. <laughs> I don't know why I thought this guy was... You know what? Uh, you can't erase it because you said it last week. Yeah. I don't know why I thought uh, this was the guy's brother, but I guess I was just way off on that. Okay, you know what? Without identifying, I would have assumed too. It said the brother of a Pakistani national. I would assume that the Pakistani national was also a guy. All right. Well, anyway, um, so I guess I guess the Red Cross was hacked. And oh. a whole bunch of personal data was stolen from them. Why and, do they have a bunch of personal data? Yeah, I don't know. I guess they collect some when they, like, I don't know, help people or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the They are uh, making personal appeals to the hackers to uh, come forward and turn themselves in. <laughs> Okay. You know, I, I I approve what the Red Cross does, but yeah, that's a bit naive. Here's the thing about the Red Cross is that they uh, the business of blood is kind of a big business. Mm-hmm. And the Red Cross does not pay for blood. 
and they've kind of taken over the whole industry. They don't uh, pay for blood. Do they get paid for blood? They they do sell it. It's not like any time you get blood from the Red Cross, you're buying it. Oh, but they make yeah. money on it. Okay. So it's... Um, but don't organizations you know, like Hawksworth and stuff like that too? Yeah, they... Yeah, they do, but they also have to pay for the blood. Oh, because I thought they just like ran donation, like blood drive, donation blood drives and stuff. They like, do have band- occasional blood drives, but most of their blood is from bums coming in off the street and getting two hundred oh, bucks for a they get pint their of blood. blood. They give their blood and and they get paid thirty five bucks or whatever. And then okay, I know a guy yeah. in college who would do that he, to get extra money. Uh, yeah, he could only do it every so often because you can't keep putting right. all your blood out. But he yeah, would go down to the die, center right. and, and donate plasma, get thirty five bucks every time he did it. I think it's something like two hundred bucks. Okay, well the price is. I think it's a bit of money. I mean, come on, yeah. this was thirty years ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hold on. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Ten thousand dollars going to who? Huh? Even when Red Cross was involved? I don't know where we got our blood. So when Vicky was at ICU, if okay. you needed blood, uh, you know, you would you would get charged for it. And the charge was around $10,000 for one pint, for one bag. $10,000 a pint? $10,000. Yeah. Wow. So that's what the bill no to the insurance would get, you know? Yeah. And I think the Red Cross gets money like that. I don't... They they have blood. They can't use the blood. There are no wars going on right now where they need tons of blood. Yet they're collecting all this blood. And the hospitals are selling it. There has to be... A lot of that blood is coming from Red Cross. So where do you think... if If that's what the customer's getting charged... That money's going somewhere. Obviously, the Red Cross is getting money off Some this. of it, yeah. So you're going in, giving them a pint of... They have these huge blood drives where they collect gallons of blood, and it ends up in the customer at $10,000 a pint. That's... I don't know all the... the uh all the movement of blood behind that and where the money moves and stuff like that. I'm just saying... There's something wrong here. Yeah. And Red, Red Cross is not this charitable organization that we think of it when people are getting $10,000 for a pint of blood. Uh, yeah. Although. What are you talking about? For. Red Cross will give people who donate blood. Oh, okay. It's like seventy five dollars for blood, like two hundred. I didn't know Red Cross gives people money. Yeah. I guess they do. They do buy it sometimes. Oh, okay. So So they'll set up in like other places. Okay. But I know I I know people who have gotten two hundred dollars for blood. I mean, I know that every time they take blood, every um, uh, sample of blood that they take. They have to take some and send it out to labs for right. testing and that kind of stuff. Well, that's the thing. So if you have a blood drive... I tried to go once. Uh, they were in a parking lot at work. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I'll walk over and give blood. 
So I signed up for a slot and got up, you know, when it was time. And it turned out it was a really cold, windy day. Well, you know me, I don't carry a coat. Yeah. So it was a really cold, windy day, and the van ended up being, it's like they couldn't get the spot that they were supposed to get, which was kind of close to our door. And they were way across, like in the other the neighboring parking lot. So I walked all the way over, and first thing she said is, well, I need your driver's license. I didn't think to bring a driver's license. Yeah. I was so disgusted. I went back. You I just thought, went back to work. Why on earth do you need my driver's license? You're going to test my blood no matter who I am. Why do you need my driver's license? Yeah. <laughs> well, so, okay, they take a pint and a little bit more. Send all that out to be tested, which costs money. Yeah. And they end up getting, I mean, say, a pint of blood. Yeah. But let's say... Um, these places downtown that collect it, um, generally you get a card and you have that card saying, I've been tested for all these diseases and I don't have the diseases. And I think there's a different amount of testing your blood gets when you have that card. And that's why they're able to say, all right, we'll give you 200 bucks a pint. Because you've already been tested, they don't have to do as many tests every time you give. Oh, especially genetic diseases that it's it's not like you you pick could possibly pick them up. You've been right. tested. You know you don't have these genetic defects. We can, and then all they got to do is test for infectious diseases. Yeah. So I, you know, that I don't makes know. Sense. It, it's just knowing that nobody gets free blood in a normal working world other than guys who are in the army and need it in order to stay alive those are the people that the red cross was originally started for but they don't that doesn't happen anymore we don't need that so why does the red cross exist other than to sell blood Mm. but is is the red cross i mean i know i've heard it referred to as they do other american red cross Mm-hmm. But my question is, is it an American organization specifically or is it, it was, international with It con- started during the Civil War. I don't I think there are oh, I don't okay. think it's purely American anymore. No, but, but it, it was started American. by a bunch of nurses it's in the Civil American. War. Okay. Taking care of uh soldiers yeah. who it, it was like there was no there was no medical facilities to help these soldiers who were having their legs blown off. Right. And the Red Cross was a part of that. That's, uh, it's actually as little as I know about the story. It is an amazing story mm-hmm. of amazing women who went to work to help soldiers. Um, and I wish I could say more about it than that. <laughs> but. Anyway, how'd we get on this? Um, Because of the uh, personal information that was stolen from the Red Cross. Oh, yeah. So they want... Whoever stole all this information, please turn yourselves in and and be indicted and go to jail. Because... But all they did was stole personal data. Who cares? Why why do they care? Well, because they'll sell that data to people who will use it to... But what? Identity fraud and stuff like that identity theft okay what kind of data do they have about people well that's what i'm wondering i mean it's like what do you got like credit card numbers social security numbers and stuff who has aids and i want to steal the identity of a guy with 
medical problems. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know. There's that. I mean, uh, the, well, okay, like, they they take donations. Number. Okay, so you get no, your but they take license. donations, so they probably do have uh, some credit card data. Well, it could be. Because people like, donate money, don't they? Even a driver's license number. You might be able to use yeah. that, for example, online to order a uh, like a birth certificate. Yeah. Except, okay, send it to this place because this is where I live now. My, you know, yeah. driver's license is old or whatever. Well, now you now then you can use that and leverage that into some other kind of identity and stuff like that. So I I could see okay. where it would be concerning. Yeah. Uh. The French Constitutional Council uh, approved the COVID-19 vaccine pass law. Um, But the only, they did change part of it. They rejected the mandatory use of vaccine pass for political rallies. So you need the pass in order to get on the bus and do pretty much everything. Go to a restaurant. Except for. Visit the museum. Going to a political rally. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that I well I that's know. kind of interesting because those yeah. political rallies might be the mechanism by which the whole thing gets reversed anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um US State Department tells its diplomats and pretty much everyone leave Ukraine. Uh yeah, things are heating we're up. We're getting there. people out of Ukraine. Uh United Kingdom is also getting people out of Ukraine. <laughs> Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announces the extension of Operation Unifier for three huh? years. What's Operation Unifier? Operation that Unifier. So this is the dumbest, gayest thing I've ever heard. Uh, 60 more troops will be deployed to Ukraine in the coming days. 60 more troops from 60. Canada. 60? 60 troops. <laughs> what for? Uh, what are 60 to, troops going to do? For Operation Unifier. Because is going to unify Ukraine and Russia, I guess. This guy's With the biggest... With 60 troops? The, the, the biggest, most Russia useless... has amassed like 100,000 troops on the Ukrainian of, border. I don't know how you could be any more useless than Trudeau. He... <laughs> He also uh, announced a shipment of non-lethal equipment and intelligence sharing. A shipment Why would you announce the shipment of that? non-lethal equipment? What, I guess, what are they going to do with know. non-lethal equipment? Vehicles hey, here's blankets. That's what we did with Ukraine back during uh, Obama's. Yeah, we would ship them like we would promise them all these uh, anti-tank missiles, and then we'd ship them a bunch of blankets. Blankets. Oh gosh, yeah. I, I I don't know. This guy, uh, there's this guy in the German Navy who is who resigns as the inspector because of all this what he's calling nonsense over this Russian and Ukraine problem. He's saying that Vladimir Putin would not do this and is not going to do this, and that everybody's just kind of overreacting. Yeah, but in Germany. Germany's benefiting from the Russian, uh, yeah, that, that new pipeline. So of course Germany's yeah. going to try to downplay uh, any buildup. They're, they're going to try to resist any buildup of preparation against Russian action. Yeah, and as Ukraine tries to join NATO, uh, 
he is against that and the way Russia is. So of course, I don't know. We'll see what happens over there. Tropical storm Anna kills twenty three people in Madagascar. Wow. Yeah. So Anna, that would make it the first one, and uh, twenty three people in Madagascar. Uh oh. Okay, this is cool. James Webb Space Telescope uh, is uh, successfully enters orbit at its target location. Awesome. So this this telescope is like the replacement of Hubble. Yeah. Um, It can see things a hundred times darker than Hubble could. Oh wow. Um, And it's specifically it's able to observe like uh, high redshift objects. Uh, which like is how we tell how, what kind of speed us. yeah what kind of speed things are taking as they go away or towards us um, important in as we try to map out where things are and stuff like that and tell all kinds of other information about them like how big they are um, the thing about this is that it's it's gonna be used um, it's going to be used for for very fine details, whereas Hubble was the first uh, space telescope that gave us a good view of everything. So the imaging we get from Hubble is fantastic and worthy to make big posters and stuff like that out of. Yeah. Whereas this is going to be a lot more technical in nature. Oh, okay. And okay. the this is going to be more about discovery of. Of the nature of the things we already know. I, I mean, yeah, we will see new things, but they won't look as cool. No, so the images won't be as spectacular, but the information that we can get from them right. will be very exciting. Yeah, hundred times. Looking forward to more it. powerful. That's that's incredible. Um, speaking of uh, uh, satellites, the the second stage of Falcon Nine. Version 1.1 is projected to impact on the moon on March 4th, 2022. Now, this is a... It was a deep space satellite that was... It started out with the... um, They wanted to use it to detect solar storms and magnetic storms from the sun. Okay. Which, I don't know, when there's a solar storm on the sun, how much time, even if we knew it immediately, how much time do we have, really, to react to that? I mean... Yeah, so, like, how how fast do the solar storm particles... Because you're really talking about, like, like charged, like, proton particles or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but... I don't know. I mean, does, it, does it charge... Does it go as fast as light? I, it, I guess it must be going slower than light. Not as fast but, as light, but I mean, light is like eight minutes. So yeah. let's, let's let's say it's like one tenth the speed of light. You know, that would be still, you know, an hour yeah. and a half. Um, so it's not like we're going to have a week to prepare for some kind no. of solar storm. It yeah. doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have something like that. But um, then it was proposed that we use this to observe climate change and study climate change. And I think the uh, information that 
is retrieved by the satellite would be visible to everyone if I if I'm understanding this right. Okay. Which is what a lot of a lot of those instruments are that way when when put up there by NASA. Yeah, when NASA does it they pretty much share everything. So, but so, it's only got another you said 2022 or 2023. 2022. So it so it'll be month. landing on the moon in in another month or two. So you, the the first time you said it, you said impact. Uh, is impact it going to be a landing, the moon. or is it going to be more like a crash? Oh no, I think it's it's supposed to land on the moon, and then okay. we would use it from there okay. to to monitor quote climate. I see. I mean, what? Okay. I don't. It it might be something that is important when it comes to things like um, predicting uh, weather. Mm-hmm. But I, I have a feeling they are kind of dressing it up as a way to study climate change, when really it does have a practical purpose. Oh, okay. Because I, I don't believe that. I, I just don't believe that uh, we need to study climate change. I don't think it is changing enough to study the way they're saying it is. And I keep, I hear. I hear so many things from so many people that I've kind of just turned that whole thing off. It's like, I, I'm sorry, you wouldn't have to lie about this stuff if it was true. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's like the COVID argument. It's like, I, if any of this was true, then we wouldn't have to be talking about this. And you, I wouldn't have to ask for an explanation for these lies that we know happened. So, you know, whatever. I don't understand why they put this much money into something like that unless there is an actual practical way to use it. Which weather seems a lot more practical than climate. Yeah. And it seems more practical than monitoring uh, solar storms. Yeah. So. Oh, maybe that's where we'll go. I mean, maybe they'll they'll yeah. pick up on ability to predict tropical storms. Yeah. Uh, the Australian government announces that it has purchased the intellectual property rights to the Australian uh, Aboriginal flag from its designer for over $20 million. That's got to be the weirdest thing I have ever heard. Why? (laughs) So, that's like, I guess, if if the, if the, the, you know what? What was the 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 big the five nations or whatever the American Indians and the uh, yeah and they are the five like the Iroquois the and the... yeah they got there, there were the five like that got together sort of right and so let's say they right. made a flag and they had some guy design a flag for them and then the U S government says oh we'll pay you twenty minutes or twenty million dollars for the intellectual property rights to your flag that's so now stupid. They're allowing public use of the flag, but the fact that maybe maybe this is just worded funny, and maybe the real story is the Australian government uh, paid a designer to make a flag for this purpose, and this. Oh, is maybe that. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's more like, hey, we need to bring attention to our native Aboriginal populations. I know. Let's have a flag designed. Maybe that's and they paid him $20 million. That could, that could be. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, so in Canada, the National Assembly voted to criminalize 
conversion therapy. Oh, gosh. Uh, get for three years yeah. in prison and something like $45,000 in fines. If a gay person, including your own child, says, I'm gay, I don't want to be gay, and you try to help them, then you, you get are going to jail. Get in jail. Wow. So, Yeah, Canada's been kind of on the forefront of the militant gay agenda. Yeah. For a couple of decades now. Yeah. Um, speaking of gay, eight, okay. I had to read this like five times before I finally understood what they were saying. <laughs> a California trans child molester. In other words, a trans, uh, a person, molester of trans children? No. Or a trans uh, who molests children? A trans who molested children. Okay. Who is 26 years old. 26 gets yeah. two years in juvenile um, Juvie. for his crime. Oh, he gets so, to be put with all the kids? Yeah. So this guy... Okay, here, here's the thing. This guy was arrested when he was uh, 17, just turning 18. Um, at the time, he was a man. And... I don't know why, but here we are 10 years later punishing him for this. But they would not try him as an adult or as a man. Now, he he molested a... I think it was a 10-year-old. Uh, he went to the girl's bathroom. If I'm understanding... Yeah. Molesting so a girl is- in the women's bathroom 8 years ago. When he was 2 weeks away from turning 18. And claims At the that he time, was, claims he was a woman. He was a man. Well, when he was arrested, he did not identify himself as a woman. But then when he was in there, he said, I'm a woman. So now he's a woman who is going to go to juvie. I assume girls juvie. Wow. At 26 years old, a 26-year-old man is going to go to a girl's... girls. Unless unless those places are juvie or are co-ed, but I don't think they are. Generally, they keep the girls yeah. and the boys apart. So otherwise, uh, so he gets well, you know what happens. Yeah, Boy, he, he grabbed he, a 10-year-old by the throat, locked her in a stall, and put his hand down the girl's pants. This is during that time when everybody was fighting, saying, no, you can't let boys go into the girl's bathroom. This is just sick. Oh, man. I, this is California. Yeah, that That's California for you. Yeah. Um, so, I guess... AOC has a Republican challenger in the whatever election is coming up, and he is demanding the death penalty for cop killers. Um, I bring this up because the problem of cop killing has gotten a lot worse in the past several years, and we talked about it a little bit last week, and... Um, I don't. Why? Why should you get a death penalty if you're a cop killer and not a citizen killer? Yeah. You know. On the one hand, we're saying we don't need cops. We're saying cops are bad. And on the other hand, we're saying we should put to death people who kill cops. And then you got people like us who are like, well, okay, if the cops are that important, I don't know. It's, yeah. It's 
lot the of inconsistency. On both sides. Yeah. And I, you know, I just would again say the, the entire police force needs to be changed. It's not what it should be, but it very well could be one of those things that it's always going to have a certain amount of problems. And I imagine a thousand years ago, the police forces who, who kept, uh, who tried to maintain control in a city who was called when, you know, who would go and arrest people for robbing a place or for beating up an innocent person, those cops probably did the same things that they do today where they're kind of, a lot of them were probably thugs who mm-hmm. took advantage of the authority that they had and accepted bribes and stuff like that. And then there were some good ones, but there were also some a lot of bad ones. I, yeah, I, I wonder if it... If it could ever be anything different. I kind of don't think so. Not, you know, the just kind of the way people are. Yeah. And unless you had a really good, uh, say, mayor or governor, that's probably how it goes. And that mayor or governor would have to be very devoted to cleaning up the force. And then the second that mayor or governor is gone, then you got the problem back again. Yeah. I mean, I would but imagine place- that maybe it's it's a little bit less prevalent these days where, like, police forces, most police departments have an official internal affairs division. And right. so it's, you know, maybe it's a little bit less prevalent than, say, a thousand years ago. But Or even uh, in, say, the 70s, before anyone heard of Serpico, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the news I got. Okay, well, I've got a little bit, but it it is honestly a um, a slow, weird news week too. Yeah. Um, however, <laughs> this is kind of gross. A uh, patient uh, was complaining about pain in his ear, and the doctor finds a cockroach inside of his ear. Oh, that's terrible. I know. That's, see, but, I thought that was like a uh, like a. Uh, urban legend, urban legend, kind of a thing. Yeah, it's like because like, uh, you hear about things like that, or mm-hmm. like that, and then there's one I think where like an ant laid its eggs in in someone's nasal cavity. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that stories see, like that from when we were kids. Yeah, yeah, I was scared to death of an ant laying its eggs in my <laughs> ear or in my nose or something, but. Um, okay, so got into his ear. That's just, that gives you the chills. That's terrible. The thing is, I've got this picture of of the doctor with, like, these two needle-looking things sticking down in the guy's ears. These scary-looking quasi-surgical instruments, although it's not really surgery because he's not cutting. I know that my wife, an audiologist, could easily get a cockroach out of a guy's ear without yeah, anything like as scary as that. Tweezers. Unless well, maybe it, it was... Tweezers, uh, but, I mean, she's got, you know, like, they've got these little things that, that have, like, suction on them. And, you know, you could grab a hold of them and pull it out, stuff like that. It's. <laughs> I wonder if the thing was still alive. I... Well, it was kicking. It kept kicking in, like... Thumping up against his eardrum. Ah, yeah. Uh, sure. Causing pain. Gosh. Yeah. 
It was there for three days. Yeah. Didn't that's all didn't that's so gross. <laughs> didn't he I, I get maybe he lived alone or something. Because see, I would think if I had this problem with my ear hurting, I would get my wife and say, Will you look in here? Is there something going on here? Because there's something wrong. It, it feels bad. Yeah. And then my kids might do the same thing and I would I would just get a pair of tweezers and say, Hey, you got something in here and then I'd pull it out. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, all the way down by your eardrum, that'd be kind of hard to reach with tweezers. Yeah. But still. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Next guy. This is an Iranian guy, and I think that he just cheated and went and got like a double uh, COVID vaccine because he broke the Guinness World Records for balancing the most spoons on his body. Uh, 85 spoons in various spoon. locations at the same time. <laughs> How? Okay, I'm seeing a picture of him. He's got some of them are on places like his arms, belly. Uh, yeah, and it's like how do you uh, uh, how do you put balance the next spoon on you when you're moving the part that already has spoons on? Maybe you? somebody else is balancing them. He could have put. He didn't even put one on his nose. He said, "I know he could have got one more." That's 86. the most popular one. Everybody <laughs> said, puts them on. I their accidentally nose. noticed this talent of mine when I was a kid. After multiple years of practice, I was able to strengthen my talent, develop it where it is now. Strengthen my talent. I would never tell anyone. <laughs> is that, that was what you my would talent. call it? A talent? <laughs> yeah. I'd call it get a life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the prior record was 64 spoons, uh, by a guy in Spain. I'll bet that guy had one on his nose. Probably. Well, no. Well, he, it's an even number, so maybe not. Well, that's true. Maybe have them uh, symmetrical or whatever. Okay, but here's the thing. I'm looking at him. I would also, look, you could put one on his nose. You could put one behind each of his ears. Yeah, stick one behind. There's all kinds of places you can put more than that. Couple on his biceps, but the thing is, the way it's like clearly they're just like sticking to his skin, the way they would to your nose. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's a rule that they have to be outward facing because you know when you put them on your nose, it's always like inward. They're inward. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, okay. so last item, um, you know, sometimes you just can't do anything about bad timing except apologize. Um, now, you know, the uh, singer and um, sometimes American actor Meatloaf. I know the name, but I don't know any of his songs. Probably his most or... uh, popular slash famous song um, is uh, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. Which is a song where the guy's singing, I can see paradise, I could see paradise by the dashboard lights. Okay, you know, you can imagine what's going on. Um, but the girl is like, hey, no, you gotta, you gotta marry me, or you gotta at least promise to marry me, spend the rest of your life with Mm -hmm. me. You know, we gotta be together to the end of time and that kind of stuff. So finally he breaks down, gives in, and then the last piece of the song is both of them are waiting to the end of time because they can't stand each other anymore. So, okay. anyway, that's just one song. Probably his most popular, though. Um, <clears throat> he The style is, I guess, what you would call operatic rock. Um, anyway, he passed away. And that same week... 
Weber Grill, uh, who is, you know, they send out their recipe of the week. Well, just coincidentally, the recipe of the week that week was barbecue meatloaf. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they had to send out an apology. <laughs> How many people really cared? Care? Probably none. But it's uh, still a uh, it's, interesting it's a twist on the death the of a... Uh, of a popular, somewhat yeah. popular figure. Probably yeah. more cult popular than full popular, you know what I mean? It's like most yeah. people probably have I, heard of him but don't really know anything. Yeah, like me. Um, I will say that Weber makes a good grill, though. Do they? Alright. Like, I mean, I've bought, I've only bought a couple grills, and I noticed that, you know, they have this real nice one with all this stuff on it for, say, 250 bucks and then you can buy the same with 250 bucks you can buy a Weber that's much smaller and has maybe like half as much room on it oh and I of course bought the big the big one because I in a year yeah in a year it was like all rusted out whereas I found a Weber in the garbage and I took it and and used it for like three or four years, so okay, that's yeah, that, that that's actually pretty good when you can pull it out of the trash and then use it for three or more get more use of it. Than, yeah, so they they make a good solid grill. I'll mm-hmm. say that. Okay, well, but now I'm in love with my Blackstone. So well, yeah. All right, that's all I got. Like I said, that's all slow, we got slow okay. news week. Yeah. Well, we we wanted it to be quick, but I do have a saint. Cool. Um, saint Isaac Chog. Oh, okay. Uh, died in 1646 here in the Americas. Yep, he was a missionary um, to the uh, the Iroquois, wasn't it? Yeah, the Iroquois and a the Mohawks are kind of a, a section of the Iroquois, oh, or okay. part of the Iroquois. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was killed by a Mohawk. But he was, uh, at the age of 10, he went to school with the Jesuits. Um, at the age of 17, he went to a seminary to start learning to become a priest. He was finally ordained when he was, I guess he was around 29. It was in ni- uh, 1636. Um and right away, I, he wanted to come to America. That's what he wanted to do, is come to New France, which was Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to come here and be a missionary to the Indians. And he did. Uh, mostly, um, I mean, they were trying to convert the Iroquois. That was the big thing. The Iroquois Confederacy, um, which was a combination of like five different groups. The Hurons were the ones who were most easily um, converted. But even them, you know, the we would come here and we would start teaching them and there would be a number of converts and then there would be a plague. Oh. And the Americans or the, the uh, Europeans were blamed for these plagues, which... Rightly so, because they were our plagues. But it's not like we're doing it on purpose. But um, so you know, these Indians are introduced to these new germs that they didn't have mm-hmm. before, and it killed a lot of them. So, um, but he kept at it, and it it 
it was a long time before he was finally accepted by the different tribes. And it got to a point where most of the tribes would accept him when he came. Um, because he knew, they knew that he wasn't there just to, uh, just to, you know, sell something or to buy something. He, he wasn't there for, uh, commerce, which a lot of the Europeans were. Um, and so he, you know, he, for, for like six years, he taught the Hurons mostly, but any Indians. And eventually he was taken prisoner. I think it was, I guess it was by a group of, uh, I don't know which tribe actually took him prisoner. I think they were Iroquois, but I don't know if, I, I don't know if they were, uh, Mohawks. Oh, okay. Um, he remained a prisoner for, uh, a couple years, I guess. It, it was almost two years, I think. The, um, he was taken prisoner along with six others. There were several times where he could escape, but he didn't. As a matter of fact, one of the, this isn't, uh, actually verified, but Originally, when he was taken prisoner, he had seen his friends being taken, and he wanted to be there with them to comfort them, and so he gave himself up um, and got out of the bushes so that he could be a part of that prison. And uh, they, he has a diary in which he describes a lot of the tortures. Um, and when you read about them, they would do things like... Uh, they they would chew on his fingers until they were a pulp. I think Ooh, one wow. woman finally cut off one of his thumbs. They would have Man. the kids throw coals on him from the fire or poke wow. him with with burning sticks. Um, it this is kind of this has gone over quickly as if it's a small thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, whenever he went from one village to another, he would have to run the gauntlet. Uh, most people don't know how severe gauntlets are. A lot of times these are, you know, a line of say, uh, the villager, the, uh, everyone in the village lined up on either side for sometimes a half a mile. It's everyone lined up. Wow. And there are, they're armed with sticks. I was picturing like, like maybe two dozen people. Right. You know what I mean? When people talk about it, that's kind of what you think. But the, yeah, it's wow. not that. It, it's a big thing. They're lined up sometimes a half a mile long. Mm-hmm. And the rule is you start at the beginning and you have to walk. If you stop or if you turn around, mm-hmm. uh, you get killed. Oh, my. Wow. So, and if if you fall, then they they beat you generally until you're senseless and pass out. Uh, sometimes they'll let you live if you fall. If you fall, because you went until you, yeah. Yeah, but if you keep going and you get to the end, then you're allowed to live. But mm-hmm. they would have him run gauntlets every so time if he you get to the entered end, into did, it. Did they have like, you know, do they have respect for you and stuff? Uh, generally they do. Okay, but, yeah, but gosh. in this case, he was a prisoner and he was never given that 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 adoption type attitude. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that might be because he never made it through the gauntlet. It oh, might be okay. because 
he always uh fell yeah. at some point or another. Yeah. But uh and and they you know, it wasn't it yeah, they were armed with sticks, clubs, sometimes burning sticks. Mm-hmm. They would stab. They did all kinds Ooh, of things. Man. It was it was a grotesque Brutal. thing. Uh it itself was its own torture. Um he was suspended on spikes at one point at, for several days, I think, until a woman, uh, some woman had pity on him and her and another guy, another, another one of the Indians, uh, got him down from that. And I think it's said that, um, the guy who got him out of that, that torture apparatus was, mm-hmm eventually accepted baptism from him um but throughout his captivity you know he heard confessions he baptized uh indians who were willing and um he he, he did everything he could for the other prisoners and for other and you got to remember the other prisoners some of them were jesuits like himself right a lot of times though there were other tribe Tribes that had been, you know, they would go to war with someone and then take some of them prisoners. And so not all the other prisoners were white men. There were other Indians along with them. Um, he was, he eventually escaped and, uh, there's a guy who helped him escape, but it was only after, first of all, the other prisoner that he had stuck with, because he he had the opportunity to escape several times, but mm-hmm. he didn't want to leave the, his other uh, prisoner alone. Uh, it was obvious. First of all, the guy had said, "No, you have to go," because it was obvious they were going to kill him no matter what, and him being there wouldn't help him at all. So finally, he did escape. He goes all the way back to France. He received special permission to say mass. Because, uh, one of his thumbs was missing, but the other fingers were so gnarled up that he couldn't use them to, to hold the hold Eucharist. The wow. So he had to have special permission from Pope Urban the Eighth, uh, who called him a living martyr and mm-hmm. gave him that dispensation. He goes back to New France and he is killed by a young Mohawk, uh, man. Uh, he was, he was just, he was walking through a doorway and the guy just, uh, plugged him with a, uh, tomahawk in the head and that's how he died. Oh, wow. Um, I was it a, don't know if, like, I don't know if we call him a martyr. I mean, like, was, huh? it, was it like a martyrdom, like religiously motivated or anything? It was part of an anti-French, uh, faction within the Mohawk community, um, Okay, so we don't a... necessarily know if if he was even being if he was even a prisoner at the time. Mm-hmm. He was there to. Uh, I can't find anything about whether or not he was a prisoner at the time, but he was eventually killed by a Mohawk with a hatchet. Who he, he wasn't expecting his death. He had. I guess we call him a double martyr. Because he went through the imprisonment and all the torture, and he did everything but become a martyr. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to France, and then he goes back 
where he finally receives his, his kill- martyrdom. Yeah. Where wow. I think he's called a martyr, even though technically he isn't actually a martyr. Because I don't think the when he was finally killed, if it was, I don't think it was out of hatred of the church. It was more out of hatred of France. Mm-hmm. But but uh, if it in, was because of France's work in spreading Christianity, it could be one and the same. Which is what a lot of, I mean, there were two parts to France's, uh, settling in these areas. First of all, you had, you had the same thing you had in America. You had colonies, French colonies who mm-hmm. were, uh, who were tracking, trapping animals, cutting down lumber and, and doing all the things that you do in America to, to start taming the land. And then, but they also sent out a lot of missionaries. Yeah. Uh, unlike England, uh, France and Spain both sent out a lot of missionaries that did a lot of work, uh, to, to help the Indians and to begin to spread the faith. Um, it didn't really work out for those Indians who did accept the faith. It, you know, they, We've talked about it before, and if you, you could go back and listen to our podcast about the Native Americans, because, um, we made it seem like, well, if you bat, if you accept the faith and become one of us, then you'll be assimilated and whatever. But that didn't really happen, and it was never able to happen to Indians. They, the Indians who accepted the faith weren't treated they were still as outsiders. white people. Yeah. They were still Indians. And they were always treated as Indians until very, very recently. But um, but France did send a lot of missionaries there, or at least the Jesuit, the French Jesuits did. Mm-hmm. And they did do a lot of work, and they did convert a lot of Indians. But uh, Saint Isaac Jogue is one of the first American uh, saints. I guess right. he's the first one is who died f- in America first? to be named a saint. Okay. He was canonized uh, 1930 by Pope Pius XI. He, as far as I can tell, he doesn't have any, uh, he's not the patron of anything specific. But I would think that he would be the patron of uh, Native Americans. Yeah, seems like it. I mean, he suffered so much for their conversion. Right. And he, uh, his feast day is on October 19th. So he is celebrated in the Roman calendar. And see, I don't get this. The feast day is celebrated on, uh, October 19th in the general Roman calendar and 26th of September in Canada. Does Canada have their own calendar? Well, so, so some, and this is true even in the, um, pre Vatican II calendar, um, you might, they would have what are called universal feasts, which meant they apply to the church everywhere. And then what are called particular feasts, which might apply within a certain oh, country okay. or, um, for like, let's say a certain order, like, like the Jesuits might have a particular feast on some days. But. Okay. I've never heard of the same saint having a universal feast on one day and a particular feast on a different day. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Okay. I, I only had a very short time to look at this saint before. I didn't have as much prep time as I like, but, uh, 
I gave you the rundown. There's yeah, probably but he's a good one. there's a whole lot of more information. I mean, he suffered so much about him. Yeah, for the conversion of of Native Americans, and uh, and we've, we practically need missionaries now again for right for for us for this America. We've got we've got a bishop in the Amazon who has never baptized a single person. And he brags about he it. Brags, yeah. And he's still a bishop. That's that's just terrible. That's and and Saint Isaac it shows is us, like you know he's suffering martyrdom what, willingly what I, twice. You know suffered over and over again for for the purpose of baptizing people. Right. That's why he was there to try to bring people into the uh Christian fold to to help bring them to God. And now we don't think it's important to bring people to God anymore. Yep. It's like, well, these people uh, have never heard of God, so we shouldn't tell them about God, which is, that's insane. God wants to be in everyone's heart. He doesn't want anyone not to know about him. Yeah. And he doesn't want anyone praying to another God. Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> God never wants that. You don't want anyone giving credit to a statue for his work. Nope, nope, nope. That's that's like number one. And if you it was the very first commandment. Read it's the very first commandment, but it's also the most often repeated commandment. Yeah, and it was what it was what the Israelites kept doing wrong. Yeah, throughout the. Old Testament, they kept slipping from God's grace, and it was always that. It was always because idolatry. they worshiped other gods. We've had a strong Catholic Church, and we've never had a Pope fall into idolatry until now. Yeah. Um, and I guess we don't, we don't see what a blessing that was. Never, always having a strong Pope who would never worship false gods. Um, it's something that we never would have even thought about, even when we were kids, let yeah. alone 200 years ago. Even corrupt popes never did that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. So when the Israelites would do this, I, I don't know much about Old Testament uh, history and Old Testament timelines. But when the Israelites would say they would fall into idolatry, and then God would punish them in some way, and then eventually they would come back. Yeah. Um, now they're back in their land. How long does it take them before? How many generations pass before they make this mistake again? How well, often did this happen? The thing is, is two thousand years a long time, or is it not? No, I mean it. It it, it happened several times within 2000 years the thing is they would okay. the first few times it was it they didn't even get exiled and mm -hmm. but you know they would uh maybe they would be uh invaded or or some some right. bad you know uh circumstance would would fall on the land or something like that um and and they would say oh my what's going on and then a prophet or somebody would would say well it's because you are worshiping yeah. idols and so they would turn back to god and start following the law and then things would go well for them and then they would kind of get fat dumb and happy and and start thinking yeah. that you know that they don't need god again and they'd start worshiping false you know it kind of went in cycles and eventually 
there was, you know, they were displaced and then they were displaced in, for an even longer time. Yeah. And then at, at one point, and this is like kind of the most recent before the, the New Testament, the Greeks occupied them. The Greeks didn't displace them. The Greeks just came in and occupied them and sort of, you know, went and tore out the temple and, and forced everybody to, to worship Greek gods and stuff like that. And then that's when yeah. the Maccabees rose up and started um, to throw off the occupation of the Greeks um, and brought back, you know, the, the worship at the temple and that kind of thing. And, and it was only a, a couple hundred years after that, that Christ came. And, and I think, okay. I think in part the Roman occupation was a protection against um, the, the threat of Greeks coming back. That's what I always wondered because uh, we always read the gospel in light of them being occupied by Rome. Yeah. But I never read about any wars being fought with Rome. To, yeah. <laughs> and I always thought, is this one of those cases where it's like, hey, we'll protect you. And here's the protection racket. You got to pay Rome oh, this yeah. you, tribute. Send and, a tribute and stuff like that. Yeah, it was that kind of a thing. Okay, so I guess there were probably a lot of Israelites who really uh, despised the whole thing. They were like, "We we're the people of God. We should not be uh, we should not be paying protection to Rome. We should depend on God." Yeah, and um, the the and, leaders in Israel had betrayed them and allowed Romans to come in and occupy. Um, it, it would. Be like the the way Biden betrays us to China, and and the way China is kind of occupying America. Pretty much everything we have comes from China, and China lives off us. I yeah, guess we don't, but it we was, don't get anything in return there. I mean, it was even it was a little bit more involved in that. But you know, the thing is, God right. even told the Israelites, "Hey, if you follow my laws and if you uh, obey me as your God, then you won't need this." You're not going to worry about any other country. You're going to loan money to other countries and you're not going to borrow money from anybody. You're going to be the top of the, the heap. Um, and, and they consistently, they rejected that. Even though whenever they were, whenever they were, were true to that, God was making good on his word. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, when you think about what's happening right now in the Vatican, it's um it's hard to think about because we there's the only thing we can really compare it to is that is is Israel's disobedience to God because yeah. this has never happened in the Catholic Church before and um i don't know it's a little scary but i don't know what else to say about it yeah other than uh pray to saint isaac jog for the church and for the pope um that we get this under control and we we get rid of the Pachamama coin that's being published by the Vatican. Oh, you got to be kidding me. I never heard of that. Yeah, the Vatican has a Pachamama coin. Oh, man. That's that's scary that's, on so many levels. Yeah, wow. It's just, that's flat out idolatry. Um, so. Yeah, pray for a cleansing. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we got. That's all I got. All right. Well, folks, think about what we said, and as always, circle the beads. See you next week. Bye.
Yes, 